With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, USFL edition. I'm your host, Ian Hardish, ready to break down everything that just went down in week nine. Didn't really get the shootout this week that we've been seeing a lot of, but continued to get close games. I mean, these were all decided by two, two, 11, and just one point. And the lock of the week, the New Orleans Breakers over the Tampa Bay Bandits hit for the third week in a row. So continuing to keep on, keeping on. We got one more regular season week left. All the playoffs are decided at this point. We want to go ahead and go on to the USFL.com. They'll show you that very fact. New Jersey Generals will be taking on the Philadelphia Stars as well as the Birmingham Stallions against the New Orleans Breakers in two weeks in Canton, Ohio for the first round of the playoffs. So bit of a weird week. 10 coming up, but we'll worry about that on Friday. For now, let's review everything that went down in week nine. As always, just going to go through the scores, touchdowns, some of the fantasy football workload notes, players of the game on offense and defense, and get on out of here. Appreciate all of you grinding along this season with me the whole way. So with all that in mind, the New Jersey Generals took down the Michigan Panthers 25-23. to Cavante Turpin, we've been hyping him up all season long. Took back the first punt return of the season for a score. Uh, just, you know, modern USFL history being made here. Uh, with Turpin, this probably is his best chance of making it onto an NFL roster. PFF's highest graded offensive player of the year, but... My goodness, he's listed in on the roster as five foot nine, 155 pounds. Bro, just say you're 175. I'm sure they're maybe they did do a combine, but lie or something, man. 155 is just going to be rough for anyone to take a chance on. If they are going to, it's going to be as a returner. So at least he was able to put that truly great play on film. Just another example of Turpin really moving at a different speed than everyone else in this league. Also continue to see Michigan Panthers quarterback Josh Love impressed with his opportunities. They had a nice little 29-yard uh, catch and run from Joe Walker and then found him from two yards out for the game's next touchdown. Joe Walker went absolutely bonkers in this one, over 100 yards. Paris scores looked really good doing it too. I mean, he had a big 60-yard play later and had a touchdown where they were both on the post route, but you just saw it really set it up with, I believe they call it that rocker step. Got the cornerback, or is the, whether it was a safety or corner, who can really tell the difference sometimes got his coverage defender off balance before cutting back underneath on the inside came down with the ball so we've seen you know Lance Lenore have plenty of good routes and good games for the Michigan Panthers uh between him and Joe Walker it's a shame we couldn't see more consistent quarterback play out of this Jeff Fisher led Michigan Panthers offense New Jersey came right back. So DeAndre Johnson got the start in this one, but whether it's him or Luis Perez in the center, they were firing on all cylinders with Darius Shepard. Happy to see that DFS play pick. I mean, Jamal Moore, seeing he was inactive, having Shepard come back from the hamstring injury, we were able to kind of look at Moore's usage coming off of the injuries list before to feel confident about Shepard having that every down roll. He did, made the most out of it. 35-yard gain to help set up a 24-yard touchdown rush by Cam Eccles-Looper. Good little misdirection 
mentioned here, Kabante Turpin, as we know, has been used plenty in the run game all season. He actually got the ball at first before reversing it to Eccles Looper, took it the rest of the way for the score. A couple other touchdowns to note. Ishmael Hyman shows some nifty yards after the catchability from his uh, 25 yards out to find the end zone. All this happened in the second quarter, by the way, like wild 15 minutes we had going on here. That was actually a drive, though, where Walker had that aforementioned nice 60-yard catch. Later in the game, a 22-yard touchdown to Joe Walker. Again, talked about that silky smooth route running ability, uh, just getting wide open on that post. And then finally, Generals retook the lead for good on a six-play 54-yard drive with a 17-yard score from Luis Perez to Darius Shepard. So Darius Shepard and Joe Walker, easy picks for players of the game. They were PFS top two highest-graded players of the week on offense, not just wide receiver entire system shepherd um eight catches 99 yards and a touchdown walker eight catches 139 yards and two touchdowns just based off the eye test you know especially the walker performance one of the best we've seen this year from a wide receiver defensive player of the game got to be pff single highest defensive graded player of the week panthers defensive tackle walter palmore really great job by the panthers holding darius victor to just 19 rushing yards deandre johnson only four palmore was a big reason why Looking at some of the usage notes, as always, you can find these on pff.com in my weekly review articles. DeAndre Johnson came back, got the start, didn't quite look fully healthy out there. Accordingly, we had Luis Perez come in, take a majority of the drop back, 16 to 11 when it was all said and done. Johnson still got those five carries, but at this point in the year, unfortunately with Johnson having missed most of the second half of the season due to that ankle injury, I do think it might be a good idea for the generals to ride with Luis Perez fully moving forward. Maybe the extra week off here, not not a week off. I'm not sure what they're going to do rest-wise, but if the Generals want to, they could, you know, let Johnson really rest up for another week, not take any more hits, and then see what happens for the playoffs. In the backfield, Trey Williams actually took the lead over Darius Victor this week in terms of snaps, also carries, but we did see Victor have the larger route percentage. Didn't work out this week, but Victor getting the goal line snaps and also the target share. He continues to be the more fantasy-friendly back. And as we mentioned, Darius Shepard came right back in, didn't miss a beat, 100% route rate. Alonzo Moore at 96%. Shepard, I mean, 11 targets, 131 air yards. Nobody else on the team had more than three targets, so really was the featured number one. Cavante Turpin, just 49% snaps, 44% route rate, one carry and three targets. So they've done a good job all year getting him involved, even on lesser kind of route and snap participation rates. Unfortunately, this was just kind of the... Week where it didn't happen, he really didn't disappoint, though, thanks to that aforementioned punt return touchdown. With the Michigan Panthers, Josh Love got banged up, unfortunately, uh, earlier on in this one, ended up only playing 48% of the snaps, suffered a knee injury, and did not return. Paxton Lynch was already inactive, so that actually led to Eric Barrier. Sorry, guys. I'm bad. You guys know I'm bad enough with NFL names, so expecting the USFL uh, player names to be money, just a little bit of a wishful thinking. But he came in there, ended up taking the rest of the of the snaps, 52%. Uh, I do think Paxton Lynch will probably be out there in Week 10, assuming he was just straight-up inactive. But we'll see. Josh Love, honestly, has been one of the more impressive USFL quarterbacks. I'm not sure why the Maulers got rid of him in the first place. He has also stood out on Michigan, so hopefully he's back in Week 10 can continue to put some more big-time throws on the tape. 
Stevie Scott and Cameron Scarlett basically split snaps in the backfield with Reggie Corbin, unfortunately, sidelined with an arm injury. Now, it was 47% to 38% snaps in favor of Scott, but Scott really had 13 carries, just one for Scarlett. Also uh, had Scarlett taking the lead four to one target. So Scarlett, clear cut pass down back. Stevie Scott, clear cut early down back. But Reggie Corbin was already listed as questionable with just that arm injury. So if he comes back, probably a full-fledged committee. And as said before, Joe Walker, Lance Lenore, easily leading this offense, both the route rates over 90%. Both had 10 targets. The difference was Joe Walker at 161 air yards, Lance Lenore only 60. And yeah, my God, Michigan, can you chill out on your tight ends? Petway, Baugh, Davis, O'Malley, all these guys working to the point that we had two running backs and Stevie Scott and Cam Scarlett actually combined for just an 85% snap rate. Michigan is so obsessed with using four tight ends that they are literally starting to hurt what some of their running backs are bringing to the table. Just come on, guys. Chill already. You got Joe Walker and Lance Lenore. Even Ishmael Hyman was out there doing good things. We've seen Devin Ross had to have a good game or two himself. I just... You know, clearly their offensive coordinator came in wanting to run his little uh, four tight end wide offense. And I just wish they would have taken a longer look at the actual player talent and maybe try to revolve the offense around that. But what can you do? Either way, another example of the fighting Jeff Fishers being far more competitive than their one and eight record indicates. I try to stick up for Jeff a little bit on Twitter when I see people just absolutely shitting on this Michigan Panthers team, which, you know, as I quote almost every one of these podcasts, as Bo Parcells once said, you are what your record says, says you are. But man, just the point differential difference between Michigan and the Gamblers versus uh, that of the Pittsburgh Maulers. Uh, it's just pretty clear that there's still somehow a tier trajectory even inside of the league's trio of one and eight squads. Next game, had the Houston Gamblers take down the Birmingham Stallions 17 to 15. Winless no longer. Pop that champagne 2020 Houston Roughnecks. The only modern era uh, undefeated spring league team. Got to feel good about that. And by spring league, I just mean AAF, XFL, and USFL. All due respect to the actual spring league and some of the other stuff that has been going on. But just two touchdowns in this one. Jamar Smith found Adrian Hardy second straight week for a 33-yard score. Not so fast, though. This was a terrible pass that probably should have been intercepted. Uh, there are a couple passes in this game that Smith threw that probably should have been picked. He had a really nice start to the season. You know, beat out Alex Magoo after he came back. Like, have multiple second-half comebacks. Has not been playing well lately, and we finally saw this comeback to bite the Stallions because Gamblers were able to come back on the back of Kenji Bahar, complete a 23-yard touchdown to Isaiah Zuber. Credit to Kevin Sumlin for a nice little play call here. Saw Zuber go at the linebacker like he was going to block him, hit right up the seam, wide open, and a good enough throw from Bahar as well. So saw a lot out of Kenji Bahar, and he should he does take home offensive player of the game. Had a spin move in the pocket where he was actually able to buy time on multiple occasions, made a tough throw. So haven't been overly impressed with him throughout the year, but you know, makes sense that when you get to play more, you get a little bit better at the game. I think that applies to just about anything in life, but 164 passing yards, 34 rushing yards, did a great job getting the gamblers that went in the absence of Clayton Thorson, who's still dealing with that elbow injury. Defensive players of the game, Gamblers cornerback Micah Abernathy, excuse me, game ceiling interception in addition to nine tackles and two pass deflections. Also, Gamblers edge Chris Odom and Stallions edge Dondrea Tillman, two guys that we've seen pop up here several times throughout the year. Odom with seven pressures and Tillman with six on the afternoon. Looking at some of the workload notes, again, Kenji Baher taking each and every snap for the Gamblers with Clayton Thorson sideline. 
backfield was weird. Mark Thompson, I was expecting to be the number one guy. And we had also Dalen Dawkins already confirmed out with a leg injury. Ultimately, I might have uh, overestimated just how healthy Thompson was. He was listed as probable with a shoulder issue himself. End up seeing Devall Whaley get the start and dominate usage. Overall, 64% snaps, just 22% for Mark Thompson. And they also brought in Benny LeMay to actually get some work as well. So Thompson wasn't effective in this one. And with nothing for the gamblers to replay for, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they use another three-back committee next week and even get LeMay's usage going on the up and up. At wide receiver, Isaiah Zuber, 100% route rate, as he should be. He's a freaking baller. Tio Redding, 79%. Anthony Ratliff-Williams, uh, 76%. And Tyler Polka, 69%. Polka actually had a team high eight targets. Nobody else with more than four and made good use of them. I'm not sure if this is going to stick, though, because JoJo Ward, who seems to do good things every single time they get him on the field, man, one great kick return after another in this one. Wouldn't be surprised at all if we see him play a little bit more than the 20% snap rate than he did here. Credit to the gamblers for continuing to largely ignore their tight ends. Looking at the Stallions, Jamar Smith, each and every drop back. I don't think he would have, though, if Alex Magoo was able to even play. Unfortunately, he continues to be sidelined with that ankle injury. I'm not sure if he's going to be ready to go by the playoffs. Might not be bad to have him back at this point. These are not the problems that you want to have two weeks away from the playoffs. But honestly, that's what the Stallions are looking at right now. Eight and one. But man, this defense, that only gave up 17 freaking points here. Uh, defenses, uh, you know, just unfortunately wasn't able to bail them out. And Jamar Smith had a safety uh, in this one that he took too. So really the defense, the offense lost this game like clearly. Even if they would have given up 17 points on their own, I think it'd be tough to pin that uh, too fully on the defense, especially though once you consider that safety coming into play. In the backfield, C.J. Maribel actually worked ahead of Bo Scarbo, 60% to 40% snaps, and in terms of routes, 57% to 16%. They both they both had 12 combined carries and targets. So the good news is Tony Brooks-James is completely out of the picture. But, yeah, basically a 50-50 touch split we should be projecting moving forward for Maribel and Scarbo. And at wide receiver, Victor Bolden back from that hamstring injury, 95% routes, 10 targets, 107 air yards right there with Marlon Williams, who continues to look really shifty after the catch. Seriously, Marlon Williams makes the first man miss every single time he gets the ball in his hands. 12 targets, 113 air yards with a 95% route participation rate. Also had a Sirius Mitchell out there for 77% routes. But we got to realize this actually came in a game that featured another touchdown from Adrian Hardy back-to-back weeks. I know it was a bad ball, probably should have been intercepted, but I wouldn't exactly guarantee Mitchell's status in three wide receiver sets. Just realize there is a potentially viable tight end here in Sage Sherratt. 93% route rate, six targets, 51 air yards on the day, and looked pretty good doing it to give him some credit. So, again, Stallions, eight straight wins. I mean, credit, two claps for them. They already clinched their playoff berth and everything. But, yeah, playing with fire for a while. Credit to Kenji Baher and the Gamblers for getting victory number two on the season. Sunday action, the New Orleans Breakers took down the Tampa Bay Bandits 17 to 6, one touchdown from each team. The Breakers had a, or excuse me, two touchdowns from the Breakers, 21 yard touchdown connection from Zach Smith and tight end Sal Canella. Pretty good ball. I mean, Canella was running a slant, but the linebacker was pretty much in the passing window. It was a nice adjustment from Smith who was in after Kyle Sloter seemingly got benched. I know they've been rotating him a little bit, usually on the third series throughout the year, but basically first drive, 
maybe it was a second drive, but Slaughter threw an interception that like Johnny Dixon ducked. This ball would have hit him in the head. I have no idea what he was thinking, but he didn't see it. Ended up being an interception. And then Slaughter had a fumble where he just really wasn't being aware enough of his surroundings. But unfortunately, Zach Smith, we didn't get an extended audition because he suffered a left shoulder. I believe the shoulder injury um, might have been a. Okay, yeah, it was a left shoulder injury for Smith. So once he suffered that, Slaughter did go back in there, ended up finding Canelo later on a two-point conversion after Jordan Ellis capped off a three-yard drive with a three-yard touchdown. That's because Breakers cornerback Derek Jones actually returned an interception all the way back to the three-yard line. Should have, I mean, you know, Jordan Tiamu got, got his ass back there, was able to shoestring tackle him, prevent the pick six. Terrible throw by Tiamo, though, on that interception. I mean, just was trying to check the ball down to his running back, sailed it, and wasn't even close. With that said, saw a lot of good things from Tiamu in this one. The 31-yard touchdown to Rashard Davis dropped it in a bucket, and it was a beautiful throw. He had one of the best throws of the USFL season down the seam to his guy, uh, Chiano Grady. So we'll get to the workload stuff in a minute, but like that's what's been frustrating. Uh, Papali, uh, you know, Invincibles kid who was at the game chilling in the stands, like he had a great catch down the seam from Tiamu. Like we saw several nice throws from him, and he's had spurts like with uh john franklin as well like certain guys have started to stand out throughout the year but never once did todd haley really go in and start prioritizing certain wide receivers or even tight ends ahead of other guys so just interesting player personnel i didn't think tiama was necessarily used correctly all year long and then just an embarrassing commitment to the run game in this one bj emmons had 13 carries for one yard like, come on, man, throw the ball. Let Tiamo run the ball more. Just, you know, not what you would hope for out of what was supposed to be the top offensive connection in the league. But yeah, at least Tiamo does continue to give us some fantasy points, win or lose. Offensive players of the game got to be Bandits wide receiver Rashard Davis and Breakers tight end Sal Canella. Already mentioned Canella's touchdown and two-point conversion, but Davis was really doing it all game long. Six catches, 112 yards, and a touchdown. Did lose a fumble, but, you know, beggars can't be choosers in the USFL. Also, shout out to Jero Fernandez, defensive player of the game. Eight tackles, one sack, two tackles for loss, and two forced fumbles. In this one, PFF's second highest grade against the run among all linebackers. Looking at some of the workload stuff, again, seemed like Kyle Sloter was benched and it was less of a rotation than usual. Ended up playing 70% of the snaps, so with Zach Smith getting sidelined with that left shoulder injury. I believe Shea Patterson's on the breakers now, but this seems awfully late in the season for them to go away from Sloter. Zach Smith hasn't been bad, but man, I just think that at this point, give, it, give, it, give the ball a Sloter in the playoffs, see what he can do. He's got him here. Let's see what happens. It has been a while, though, since we've seen this top-tier passing game look anything close to top-tier. In the backfield, Jordan Ellis, 52% snaps, 14 carries, three targets. Anthony Jones, 48%, 11 carries, and zero targets. Jones ripped off a couple real nice runs early, and, man, that dude does know how to break a tackle or three. The difference is Ellis just stayed out there for some reason. So when Ellis is not banged up as he was earlier, this really does turn into a two-back committee. And at wide receiver, had Taiwan Taylor be a game day inactive, and it led to Lee Morris coming in and being second among wide receivers in snaps, but he was actually fourth in targets. So Jonathan Adams throughout all this remains the featured number one. Dixon's number two in terms of routes. Then Poindexter, usually Poindexter next to Taylor. This week, Lee Morris was that other guy, but didn't even receive a single target for his troubles. Mentioned Sal Canella, four targets, 67% route rate in this one. Continues to be one of the few guys in this league, one of the few 
tight ends, I should say, in this league that we can even somewhat trust in fantasy land. Looking at the Bandits, Jordan Tiamu continuing to take each and every snap. Maybe it changes and they get Brady White out there in a meaningless Week 10 game. We shall see. In the backfield, B.J. Emmons, 57% snaps, 13 carries, 5 targets. Jawan Washington, who honestly lately has looked like the better back, 43% snaps, but just 5 combined carries and targets in this one. In terms of the receiving game, Derek Dillon, the only wide receiver to play even 70% uh, of their dropbacks. So I guess that's the problem here. Like, D- Dillon and Derek Willies, like these guys were the top two receivers, but Vinny Papali, Rashard Davis, and Chiano Grady seemed to be the guys that Tiamu had the most connection with, but they couldn't even sniff a 70% route rate. So John Franklin did good things out there. He, uh, he had a nice uh, catch down the sideline. He's shown some good stuff all season as a potential Wildcat quarterback. Like, come on, man, just put, put your team in position to succeed. Unfortunately, it didn't seem like that was the case for Tampa pretty much all season long. Like, consider this. The Breakers outscored the Bandits 51 to 9 in these two games, but they only won the yardage battle 589 to 46. So truly 51 to 9, 42 point difference between these two teams in two games, whereas the yard difference was literally 42. That's crazy. Same. Oh, it's the same difference. Ah, oh, 43. 42 to 43. That's wild. That is wild. The good news, Kyle Slaughter and company, they're going to playoffs. The bad news, offense looks worse than it has all season. Only one week left to fix it. We'll see what happens. Final game, Philadelphia Stars took down the Pittsburgh Maulers 17-16. to Just a classic Maulers game here. Credit to them. Just the second time all season they've managed to lose by seven points or less. They got going with style. I mean, I say a lot of mean things about punters and kickers alike. Shout out to the Pittsburgh Maulers punter and kickers because on the same damn drive, first they had a fake punt conversion that featured the punter throwing the ball to, you know, one of the linebackers, whoever was out there. And then their kicker, Ramiz Ahmed, my God, one of the most athletic slash kind of unathletic plays from a kicker, but beggars can't be choosers. I'm, I'm being nice here. They do the freaking classic. I think it was, was it LSU or Florida back in the day where the holder literally catches the ball, throws it blindly over his head, and Ramiz, the kicker, has to one-hand catch the toss, which it was just a toss, not the hardest thing in the world, but then transfer the ball from his left hand to his right hand while the defender's bearing down on him, and then basically throws this wobbler to the end zone, and he got it there, 14-yard touchdown to linebacker Malcolm Howard, so Again, I don't make a habit of complimenting kickers, but this was awesome. Shout out to Ramiz Ahmed on that fantastic play. So in this one, Case Kukas, fresh off, one of the best, if I would say the best quarterback performance all season long, what he put forward in week eight. Yeah, got hurt early and then just kind of seemed to maybe be benched. I'm not exactly sure. I was trying to look up um, stuff online about an injury update. Didn't see anything. Also didn't appear to be in a ton of pain necessarily on the sideline. So we'll continue to kind of monitor that situation. Could have just been a, a spot where uh, they were looking to rest him without anything to really play for in this one. Regardless, backup stars QB KJ Costello got Phil into the end zone. Guys, he has some nice plays in this one. I believe he was PFS highest graded quarterback on the week. Beautiful 32-yard gain to Maurice Alexander down the sideline that set up a one-yard score by Paul Terry. Later in the game, he actually had another potential uh, 30-yard completion go right through his uh, receiver's hands. So not a lot of help, but Costello, man, he looks like he can throw in pretty nice deep ball if they do unfortunately have to go down to their third-string quarterback for the playoff stretch. 
Maulers weren't done, though. Uh, we did see Vadley take pretty much every single snap in this one. He threw a 28-yard touchdown to Trey Walker. Really wasn't a good pass, but Trey Walker came back to it, made a contested catch, fought his way into the end zone. More on him in just a minute. But basically, this was in the fourth quarter. Maulers had a 16-10 to 10 lead. Matt Colburn put the team on his back like a young Greg Jennings. 51-yard touchdown. Went off left tackle, got the corner for a second, and then proceeded to cut back across the grain. And for that, he is going to be the offensive player of the game. 12 carries, 97 yards, and that touchdown. Week high, six forced missed tackles. He lost a fumble, but you know what? He scored the game-winning 51-yarder. We can live with a fumble earlier on in the game. Defensive players of the game. Got to go at linebacker. I cannot say his first name. Tizino. Hell of a game. Racking up two sacks and three pressures. Generally making his presence felt all over the field. Also at Stars Edge, Adam Rodriguez and Stars linebacker James Crawford. Recorded the highest overall PFF grade at their respective position. Rodriguez particularly was fantastic. Week high, eight pressures on the game. Looking quickly at some of the snaps, again, mentioned Case Cook is 43% of the snaps before being pulled in favor of Costello, who did contribute three carries to the cause. We will see what happens, but if Brian Scott and Cookus are going to be out, all of a sudden Costello is QB1 ahead of the playoffs. Mac Holborn, 72% snaps, 59% routes, 12 carries, and four targets. Did not see um, Darnell Holland in this one. It was Paul Terry playing 21% of the snaps. Managed to vulture that goal line touchdown, but make no mistake about it. Mac Holborn is the engine of this offense at this point. Even had 40 air yards on those targets. Like They really do use him like Austin Eckler, even in terms of throwing the ball down the field to the guy. At wide receiver, Jordan Suo, 85% routes. Maurice Alexander, 81%. Devin Gray, 85% as the league. Guys, Suo led things with five targets and a team-high 85 air yards. Bug Howard, 63% routes and three targets. Had a sick catch down the seam in this one where he was staring down the safety after he got knocked down. I freaking love it. But there is not a bigger football guy move than what Isaiah Henney managed to do out there. Henney is someone that we've been complimenting in recent weeks. He's looked good after the catch, and he had another nice play after the catch in this one where he caught a short crosser, kind of got around got around defender with a block, picked up the first down. Did not go out of bounds, though, and he is too small not to be going out of bounds. Got laid the hell out to the extent that they showed him on the sideline, spitting out one of his teeth. He didn't leave the game, though. So, please, USFL, pay for that man's dentist bill. Whatever you need to do. My goodness. Isaiah Henney, hats off to you, man. Ultimate football guy. Uh but yeah, I know I've spent enough time bashing Kirby Wilson, the Pittsburgh Maulers. It's awesome that Badley and, you know, their punter and kicker were able to lead this offense within one point of getting to the end zone. I just wish there was a more rational track of what Kirby's doing personnel-wise. Again, Delvin Hardaway, Jalen McCleskey, Isaiah Henney, top three receivers, Trey Walker, Continues to look like the best receiver on the team. He played only 30% of the routes. I think he's being punished for fighting back in week seven still. You would think that it was actually, it was in week six, I guess. So he fights in week six. He gets suspended week seven. And now in back-to-back weeks, he's being relegated to, you know, one of the backup receivers on the team, even though he's probably been their best offensive player all season long. Uh, You do you, Kirby. Who knows though? Honestly, was it the suspension or maybe, you know, he just ate a bag of pretzels when it should have been potato chips. Like again, we, we can't give Kirby much the benefit of the doubt just because it's been one, one perplexing decision after another. And here I am getting into another rant about the guy after I said I wouldn't. Oh, by the way, Bailey Gaither, one of the USFL's uh, most impressive receivers during the first half of the season, healthy scratch. Uh, cool. So with all that said, 
Joel Klatt, who's been, I think, doing fantastic work commentating on these games, picked the Stars to win the championship, although that was before the Kukas injury. Either way, though, four straight wins for the Philadelphia Stars, and they sure do look like the USFL's best offense when everything is cooking. So one more week, and then we got the playoffs, everyone. And then it's done in two weeks, and then it's going to be like July, and we still won't have freaking – and then there won't be any more live football. So cherish these final games. We got – seven more live professional football games until preseason comes around August. And I'm hyped for that too, but I'm going to stay in the moment and remain hyped at any chance that we get to watch the local USFL. So again, appreciate you guys for tuning in. As always, we'll be back on Friday previewing week 10 and then back talking all things playoffs after that. So I mean, hearted. Thanks as always for tuning in until next time. Take care. Everybody.